Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in the CIM Marketing Podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the companies they work for. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. And you know, marketing is a sector that is about two thirds women. It is a heavily feminized sector. And therefore, how to lead and manage a female workforce and how women can use their voices to be powerful leaders and team members is a topic that is close to many of our audience's hearts. It is not something I can claim to be expert in, but thankfully I have two ladies with me today who are expert in this, and those ladies are Abigail Goldsborough, who is a senior communications director, and Emma Weiner, who is voice coach at Speaking at Work. Ladies, how are you today? Very well, thank you, Anne. Thank you for having us on. That's great to be here. Great to have you, Emma. Yes, I'm very delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Now, Emma, what's your voice coach, which some people have an idea of what it is, but can you put a little bit of flesh on the bone and tell us what it is that you do in your work? Yeah, certainly. So I work mainly with women and I help them raise their visibility and their credibility at work through what they say and how they say it. That's the really important bit. Not so much what they say, but how they say it. Now, for instance, your audience, even though they can't see me, the majority of them will never have met me in their lives, will have by this point decided whether or not I'm good at my job simply by the way that I sound and the way that I use my voice, because the way that I use my voice will will show how I'm using my body. It will show up whether I'm feeling confident, whether I really know my stuff or not. So I work with women to make sure that every time they stand up, they're doing that. They're really showing their audience that they're experts, that they really know what they're talking about through how they're speaking. That is absolutely mind blowing. We, my timer says we've just been speaking for about eight seconds. Well, you, you're, you're saying that took about eight seconds and you're saying in that eight seconds or so, our audience will have already decided, they will have made a judgment on whether you're good at your job. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of different research. Some say up to seven seconds. There's lots of research that actually suggests they'll decide before you even speak, simply by how you're holding your body and how you're breathing. If they can see you, crikey. So that's an important thing to get right. Your voice, your posture, the, the way you show up. Uh, in front of an audience. Why is it that you focus on women particularly? I think women have a particular set of issues when it comes to the workspace. So again, based on research, women get about two thirds of the airtime that men do in meetings. And how much airtime you get will dictate how much of an expert you are perceived to be. So there's a lot about the sort of culture and the climate that women work in that doesn't necessarily make it easy to get airtime but by working with them to work on their confidence to work on their mindset and then to work on the technical speaking skills they can then create climates where they can get their point across get heard get recognized for their expertise and then get rewarded for the input that they're having to that organization I'll do a horrible journalist thing of trying to get you to completely oversimplify a very complex and important task that you do with your clients. But if you can just indulge me for a second, what are the sort of key tips you give to your clients to bring them into that confidence space? I think the biggest one and the sort of underlying kind of factor to it all is that everything you think will leak out of your body somehow or another. 
So working on, on your mindset, working on your sense of enoughness, dialing down that inner critic, uh, dialing up the inner mentor, that is absolutely critical to coming across in a very authentic way that shows your leadership skills. So it's really about working on, on the mindset, first of all, um, and then your body will follow suit. The inner critic, the imposter syndrome, Abigail, is that something that as a comms director and a woman in business, a very senior woman in business, you've worked with lots of leaders, female leaders. That's something that you have encountered yourself or in others. So I really think about imposter syndrome as a confidence gap. It's those feelings of inadequacy and self-doubt, which can creep up on anyone, uh, especially when individuals have perhaps been promoted into a new role or when leaders are trying to take a business in a new direction. Um, it can also happen at times such as returning from parental leave, where often parents returning to work who need to be in a different working rhythm um, feel that they need to be enough to stand up to what the job requires. Uh, and I think ways to overcome imposter syndrome include really identifying who your stakeholders are, mapping out what their expectations are, and then also identifying some quick wins that you can make um, to help give yourself a sense of making progress and really achieving the goals you've set out to do. Also, it's important to say yes to opportunities rather than to talk yourself out of them. And I find that it's really helpful sometimes to reframe the opportunity and practice positive self-reflection, maybe find a new way of describing what it is you're doing and track your progress. I think when you are feeling imposter syndrome, it helps to have small goals and to actually celebrate achieving them. And also, and I, I think women can be particularly guilty of this, we do need to let go of being perfectionists. Um, and there's there's a lot to be gained by showing humility and learning from your mistakes and being able to tell that as part of your story. That's a great tips. Emma, is it something we can do with our voice if we're suffering from imposter syndrome? Yeah, I, th I think it's really interesting. I mean, what Abigail was just saying there, you know, as human beings, we're designed to look at the gap. We, you know, that's how we stay alive. We look out for the danger. We don't look for the good. Um, so often when we have been speaking and we come off and we're like, oh, I didn't say this and I missed that slide on the deck and I didn't answer that question properly. And we think about all the things that we did wrong, all of them. And it's usually a really, really long list. And we never really think about the things that we did well. So I think one of the things that we can we can definitely start doing is is more positively reflecting, looking at the game. What did I do well? How did I make a connection with this audience? How did I serve this audience in, in a way that's going to be beneficial to them? How did I help them make their lives easier, their jobs easier, whatever it might be? And really focusing on what you did really, really well. I think, though, that sort of is, a, is something you can continue to do the entire time. But in terms of using your voice to dial down that inner critic, part of it is about having a conversation <laughs> so you know just like we would with another human being and your inner critic is really having a go and saying oh don't do this you're going to mess it up you're going to make a, a fool of yourself you know it's an opportunity to say well yeah I might do that I might mess it up I might say the wrong thing but I'm okay with that I'm going to do it anyway because I have an opportunity to grow to stretch to to expand my skills or my reach or whatever it might be so I think definitely having a conversation with your inner critic is super super useful and taking up space you know your inner critic wants us to be body small it wants us to be less so that we are safe we are not about to get eaten by the dinosaur which it thinks is coming around the corner this is physical space we're talking about. This is the amount of space that one takes up in the room you're talking about here. 
Absolutely, because if we're feeling, if our imposter syndrome is having a party and it is really giving us a good going over, we will shrink our body. So our shoulders will roll forward. We'll probably put our arms in front of our body, almost certainly cross our feet. We'll do all those things to make ourselves smaller because we're, we're a smaller target at that stage. Now, if you go back to what I was saying right at the beginning, your audience are reading that. They're reading your body language. They're saying, oh, this person is not feeling super confident about what they're saying. I'm not sure I can believe their message. So by taking up space, we're indicating to the brain that actually we're just fine. This is all OK. I'm totally under control here. And it can just start to just damp down some of the imposter syndrome noise, that internal noise that we get, because we really want to do that, because if we don't, we're not going to be totally present to our audience. You're a business leader, Abby. You're a big recruiter in the space. Is it those sort of things that cues that you notice in people that are showing a lack of confidence? Are those things that you pick up as a leader when you're recruiting or meeting people in the workspace? Absolutely. I think body language, even through digital means like uh, video calls, really shines through. And I think some of the conscious things that you can do is to start by working on your posture. So I often encourage people just to think about the invisible thread, lifting them up so that their posture is good. Like a ballerina dancer, you've got a straight back and you are walking and showing poise. You know, a big part of, of what I do as a communications director is to work with senior leaders to prepare them for centre stage. Um, and that includes coaching on messaging, but also the delivery of those messages. And then also teaching them techniques that involve things such as bridging to ensure that the key messages that they want to convey are being heard. Um, and I think most leaders benefit from really being able to get their posture and their tone of voice right. And at the end of the day, what they're saying is important, but the impact they're having is where the focus needs to be. Uh, and there's one consistent theme I've seen throughout my career working with both men and women in leadership positions. Um, and that is leaders that rehearse are the most incredible people when it comes to delivery. So the most compelling presentations given on a big stage are by people who've worked incredibly hard to prepare. There is no such thing as winging it. Brilliant presenters always put the prep time in. They know what their outcome is going to be and they work very hard to achieve that. So you work with some male clients, not many, Emma, but some. Do you notice any difference of uh, the way that they present and the way they show up in terms of their using their voice and their body language? I think there's there's two things at play here. So the first one we can do nothing about, and that's biology. So men's voices, so their vocal tract, so their mouths, their throats, their, the actual larynx itself is bigger. And because it's a bigger space, the resonance that they're able to create is on a deeper level. So it's a lower tone. So in nature, we find as human beings, lower tones means it's safe, it's fine, it's all good. Um, higher tones come from smaller spaces. So women's vocal tracts are smaller, our larynx are smaller, our mouths are smaller, our throats are smaller. So our pitch of voice is generally a little bit higher. And in nature, high sounds are sounds of danger, you know, babies crying, sirens, those kinds of things. So we have a little bit of a, a disadvantage, if you like, because our, biologically our, our vocal tracts are just smaller, so our, our voices are higher. But going back to what Abigail was just saying about how we hold our bodies and how we stand and posture. Actually, one of the things that I work with women on almost immediately is what they're doing with their feet. And I know that sounds totally nuts, but actually wherever you, your feet are, so if your feet are too close together or crossed, your posture is going to be off. If they're too far apart, you actually won't be able to breathe properly. And so if we can't provide the right amount of 
breath, if we're not standing well, we won't be able to provide the right amount of breath. Our voices can become disembodied. So I'm going to try and imitate what that sounds like. So, so a disembodied voice sounds like this. So I haven't changed the pitch, but I'm just now imagining that my voice is only coming out of my head. So I'm thinking of my words and the words are coming out of my head. Now, if I put my feet back on the floor and I just relax and allow my voice to become embodied, can you hear the difference? Yeah. So I That's now sound like an expert. I sound like I know what I'm talking about. I knew what I was talking about a minute ago. I just <laughs> didn't sound like it. And it's all to do with how my feet are placed on the floor and how I think about myself. And those two things combined make a huge difference. So there is that. And then there's the, there's the linguistics of it. So women tend to collaborate. Men tend to be much more directive. They use shorter sentences. Um, it's much more declarative, whereas women want to collaborate. So we ask more questions. And I also think women can use this difference to their advantage. So actually being different in the room, as long as you are grounded, as Emma said, you can use the fact that your voice sounds different to capture people's attention in a different way. I think that a woman speaking quietly in a room full of men who had perhaps been speaking loudly would actually be heard very, very quickly because of that difference. So I think it's important to also think of the, the tone of voice and the pitch of the voice and really use that to your advantage rather than feeling disadvantaged by it. It is absolutely fascinating. I have to say, since you mentioned a few of those tips, the head on a, a piece of cotton, I've, I felt myself trying to straighten my back. I don't know if you saw that. I've crossed my legs and uncrossed them since you were speaking. But you know what? This stuff matters, doesn't it? It matters for men and women. It particularly matters for women. There is this mind-blowing statistic in the latest issue of Catalyst magazine, CIM's membership magazine, that said that 57% of men in a university study had negotiated their salary, presumably upwards, one would assume, compared to just 7% of women. The difference, 50 percentage point difference, Abigail, makes a massive difference. It's not what's inside of people, it's not the talent, it's probably confidence, isn't it? I think, Ben, it starts with ask for what you want, don't ask for what you think you'll get. And I think women need to understand what they have to offer. Some of the techniques that we would be encouraging them to do are really about building out and understanding your value, as well as doing some of that benchmarking to understand your worth and to really be confident to make some of those bold career moves that are the type of moves that actually help to increase earning and improve your position in the workplace. Saying that, there's a lot that organisations can do to provide the right support to enable people to continue having a great career, particularly after having children, which is the time at which we see a lot of women perhaps moving out of the workforce for a period of time. And for me, organisations should be aware of the things that they can tangibly do to bring women back into senior roles to continue to develop their careers with confidence. Other things we can do beyond the, the the confidence in the individual to build confidence in teams and other women. One thing we've talked about in the past is networking uh, in, in marketing and the fact that despite the fact we talked at the top of the show, 66% of uh, the marketing sector as a whole is female. After you look at the top echelons of the marketing sector, you will find that that's actually a majority male. So a lot of what's talking about is the network. Are men better at pulling each other up the ranks? And if so, what do we need to do about it, Abby? I think a great deal of it is structural, actually, and organisations can make conscious decisions around diversity, equity and inclusion, which, as you know, is so important. Um, and it's vital that leaders today are aware of this. So the way I like to think of it is diversity is being asked to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Belonging is being able to dance how you want. 
and equity is picking the DJ. And the best practices in diversity and inclusion lead to the best outcomes of belonging and equity. So simple things that an organization can do could be around representation and making sure that people in the room are a diverse cross-section of the organization. So that's one thing. Having meetings within working hours, meetings that start outside of the school run, for example, makes a huge difference. Creating networking opportunities that are not always in the evening is a way of actually enabling women to join those meetings and to be part of those forums where they can increase their network and make those decisions. I think something we need to think about, though, is equity, because equity is about the power of decisions, which are so often made behind the scenes. And it's really important for organisations to hold the mirror up and understand how decisions are being made and whether or not those decisions or those forums are disadvantaging certain groups of people. Yeah, you spoke earlier, actually, Emily, but you, you were talking about collaborative language versus clarifying language. So language, short sentences from men, which says this is what we're going to do. I'm just going to keep it simple, but actually it's not very conversational or discursive. And, and, and you said that women tend to be more collaborative in their language uh, and then ask more questions. And what I found myself thinking was that actually wouldn't it be better if that collaborative language is valued better rather than the fact that there is a premium on the simple instruction? Absolutely. I think it, it, you're so right there. The problem is to do with status. So biologically, men compete for status and they do that through conversation. Uh, women do collaborate. And I think also this, you know, there's a lot of statistics that women are incredible networkers. They really are very good because they like to collaborate. They ask great questions, but they do it at a peer level. So they go across their organisations or their industry and down. They don't go up. So they're very shy, I'm shy is probably the wrong word, but they're cautious about networking above their sort of given station, if you like, their rank. And I think a lot of that has to do with their sense of enoughness. So on the whole, most of the women that I work with have some degree of not feeling like they're enough. And Abigail, you were talking about, you know, mums returning to work, you know, that sense of not being enough of a mother, not being enough of a colleague, not being enough of a, an employee. You know, you're juggling a lot of stuff at that point. And so it's very hard at that point to go and negotiate for a pay rise or go and think, I'm going to chat to the CEO because I want to tell him or her about this. Or I want to, you know, it can be very hard if you're feeling that sort of sense of not being enough. Um, because you're, you're stretched too much across different platforms to be able to go in and really make a case for yourself. Does it require them to go against their natural instincts to do that? Is it just about retraining your brain or retraining how you show up? I absolutely think that through doing things such as stakeholder maps, you can retrain yourself to be brave. And the use of things like positive affirmations, that act of telling yourself that you're good enough, that act of telling yourself that you're worth it, and then making those bold steps forward can really help to change your ability to have a dialogue with the right people. Uh, it's, it's really important to understand who it is that you need to be working with to get things done in an organisation and how you get things done within an organisation. Um, and I think that is within the gift of everybody to continue to challenge themselves and really aim for continuous improvement. One of the things that I find incredibly helpful, actually, is doing continued professional development every year, which I do in my role as a CIM fellow, because that forces me to challenge myself to grow as an individual and to try new things and to learn new things. And all of that builds confidence at the end of the day. I think there's a big opportunity to reframe. A lot of the women that when they come to me, one of the things we discuss at the beginning, of their goals, they say, I want confidence. And it's always at that point I have to say, OK, confidence is a byproduct. 
It is not something you're going to learn. You're going to get it from doing. So, you know, creating that stakeholder map that Abby was just describing or, you know, planning out in your head what it is you want to say and why you want to say it. How is this going to be helpful? How are we going to take this conversation forward? And then going and doing it. That's how you build confidence. That's how that sense of being enough gets built up. You don't get the confidence and then go and do it. It doesn't work that way around. So reframing and retraining your brain is, is a critical, critical skill here. Well, that surely falls into the category of a CIM marketing podcast mega tip that, that actually you cannot buy confidence. It's not something you can learn. It will something that will naturally flow from you if you take the other necessary steps, some of which we've talked about today. I mean, you've progressed in your role. You work with senior leaders. Do you think the pressure on female leaders specifically has become greater in recent years? You know, Ben, we live in such uncertain times at the moment. There are macroeconomic factors putting pressure on business, you know, the economy, supply chain, inflation. There's hyper competitiveness in some industries. And I think all leaders have a battle for share of voice and business leaders on top also have a battle for the share of wallet. But the leadership fundamentals remain the same. Showing your team that you have a vision offering clarity about what it is, what the purpose of the organization is and what people are there to do, being consistent in terms of how you show up and how you deliver your messages and how you support the team, and also surrounding yourself with a great team and empowering that team to deliver are, for me, the leadership fundamentals that haven't changed, despite the world today being very different from the world that perhaps we were operating in 10, 20 years ago. Um, and I think something which for me is fundamental about leadership is that people may forget what you say, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And as Emma has said, they will always remember whether or not you were confident delivering that message. And if you are, they will take that away and they will believe you and they will want to follow you because they'll be able to relate to your vision. Emma, so the context has changed. There's a probably a, a, a more difficult landscape of uncertainty and so on and so forth. But the fundamental steps that we need to take to get that byproduct, which we call confidence, haven't changed. They're immutable. Yeah, but I think because we're dealing with human beings, you know, all businesses, whatever the business is, is a business of human beings. You know, they might be producing something physical. They may be producing something intangible, but it's a it's a business of people. And so when as a leader, you're communicating, you need to really be communicating clarity. So what is it you want these people to do? And when and how and all that kind of stuff? What is the vision? And so like Abby like was just saying, you know, where are we going that, you know, can you draw that map? verbally can you embody that so that they really believe you and then can you create a connection between them so like this is where you want them to go but why should they go there why should they care why should they get up at 6 30 in the morning and you know get on a crowded tube to come to work to do that thing so can you create a connection um based on the compellingness of your vision with the people that you're talking to and I'm, i mean this in terms of when we're presenting but also just in daily communication um, that is is so important and then can you do it in a credible fashion? Because if you can do that, then they will feel like they know where they're going. They'll feel safe in your hands and they'll feel compelled to, to complete that vision for you because they want to follow you because you're credible. You live your values. You do what you said you're going to do. You support them. So I think that like like Abby was saying, there's a lot that's changed in the world. But the human beings that are in it want to be seen and heard. And so the way that we communicate with them hasn't changed at all. 
And I think it's important to remember as well that brands and reputation take years to build and a very short time to break. And unfortunately, the pressure this does create for, for leaders or people in high profile roles is down to the fact that they're basically always on. I think especially in today's world where mobile phones and social media mean that news can spread very, very instantly and quickly. Uh, leaders do need to remember that when they are in a public setting, pe you know, people are watching them, the eyes are on them. And with that comes a certain set of expected behaviours that need to be maintained no matter what the situation. And I think that's really important for leaders to factor in that pressure when they're making decisions about whether or not to take that role that's going to put them in the spotlight. You know, these are great insights. These are amazing insights. And I know I've been compelled by them and I know that our audience will be. So Emma, if people want to learn these presentational techniques, first and foremost, where can they go to find the resources and the tips that they need? There are some amazing books out there. There really are. Um, I would recommend Patsy Rodenberg. Um, she's got amazing books. I'm just looking at my bookshelf up here just to remind me. Tara Moore, I think, is an excellent book about playing big. Just brilliant. I use so much of her stuff all the time, particularly around building your inner mentor. The thing that I would say that is really, really important to consider is knowing what you should be doing cognitively. So knowing in your mind what I should be saying and how I should be saying it and how I should be using my body is one thing. It is not the same as doing. So I would definitely go find yourself a space where you can practice the doing. Go find yourself somebody who's going to give you honest feedback about what you're doing and the impact that you're having, because it's really only when those skills become embodied, when when you literally don't need to think about it. Like, I'm sure you don't need to think about how you drive now. You've been doing it for so long. It just happens. You get in the car and you get home. And you're like, oh, I don't even remember the journey. The skills need to be that embodied. So you're not even thinking about it. And then you can focus on your audience. Then you can focus on the message. And that's when you really start to make an impact. What about you, Abby? What people who want to be a leader or ambitions to be a leader as a woman in business, where should they go? I guess the first thing is to find a way to identify and play to your strengths because that's how you really build credibility, doing the things that you are best at. Uh, and then also, I think LinkedIn should become a 10 minute a day habit for everyone, because not only is it an opportunity to learn and to follow influencers and companies that are of interest to you, but it's also an opportunity to get involved in the conversation. And I like to think of LinkedIn as a force for good. Being well-read is important. I know a lot of people are time-starved. So the other thing I would recommend is really just keeping your tank full, understanding where it is as an individual that you get your energy from, and to make sure that you are doing the things that actually give you that base that allows you to be credible and powerful at work. And can anybody do it? Can everybody build this confidence? Can everybody lead? Is that something within all of us? Absolutely. Totally. Uh, great, great leaders, great speakers, great communicators. They are not born. They are made. That is literally my mantra. I say that so many times a day. It is really about learning the skills and then trusting yourself to use them. So, yes, everybody can learn to be an incredible leader and communicator. Sounds like a great way to finish. Ladies, Emma Wainer, Abigail Goldsborough, thank you very much indeed for your time and insights today. And I do want to get you back on the CIM Marketing Podcast very soon indeed. Thanks very much. Thank you, Thank Ben. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. CIM Marketing Podcast. <laughs>